Welcome to the Law Requisites. Today we will revisit special civil action under the Rules of Court of 1997. Follow this podcast to be updated of our new releases that will help you in your study of Philippine law, whether you are preparing for your school exam or to the actual bar exam. Happy reviewing everyone! Let us begin. Special Civil Actions Rule 62 Interpleader Section 1 when interpleader proper. Whenever conflicting claims upon the same subject matter are or may be made against a person who claims no interest whatever in the subject matter, or an interest which in whole or in part is not disputed by the claimants, he may bring an action against the conflicting claimants to compel them to interplead and litigate their several claims among themselves. When a, R63, Section 2. Order. Upon the filing of the complaint, the court shall issue an order requiring the conflicting claimants to interplead with one another. If the interests of justice so require, the court may direct in such order that the subject matter be paid or delivered to the court. 2. R. 63, Section 3. Summons. Summons shall be served upon the conflicting claimants, together with a copy of the complaint and order. 3. R. 63, Section 4. Motion to dismiss. Within the time for filing an answer, each claimant may file a motion to dismiss on the ground of impropriety of the interpleader action or on other appropriate grounds specified in Rule 16. The period to file the answer shall be told and if the motion is denied, the movement may file his answer within the remaining period, but which shall not be less than 5-5 days in any event, reckoned from notice of denial. N. Section 5. Answer and other pleadings. Each claimant shall file his answer setting forth his claim within 15-15 days from service of the summons upon him, serving a copy thereof upon each of the other conflicting claimants who may file their reply thereto as provided by these rules. If any claimant fails to plead within the time herein fixed, the court may, on motion, declare him in default and thereafter render judgment barring him from any claim in respect to the subject matter. The parties in an interpleader action may file counterclaims, cross-claims, third-party complaints and responsive pleadings thereto, as provided by these rules. Fora, R63, Section 6. Determination. After the pleadings of the conflicting claimants have been filed, and pretrial has been conducted in accordance with the rules, the court shall proceed to determine their respective rights and adjudicate their several claims. 5a, R63, Section 7. Docket and other lawful fees, costs and litigation expenses as liens. The docket and other lawful fees paid by the party who filed the complaint under this rule, as well as the costs and litigation expenses, shall constitute a lien or change upon the subject matter of the action, unless the court shall order otherwise. 6a, R63, Rule 63 Declaratory Relief and Similar Remedies Section 1 who may file petition. Any person interested under a deed, will, contract or other written instrument, or whose rights are affected by a statute, executive order or regulation, ordinance, 
or any other governmental regulation may, before breach or violation thereof bring an action in the appropriate regional trial court to determine any question of construction or validity arising, and for a declaration of his rights or duties, thereunder. Bar Matter No. 803 February 17, 1998, an action for the reformation of an instrument, to quiet title to real property or remove clouds therefrom, or to consolidate ownership under Article 1607 of the Civil Code, may be brought under this rule. Wana, R64, Section 2. Parties. All persons who have or claim any interest which would be affected by the declaration shall be made parties. And no declaration shall except as otherwise provided in these rules, prejudice the rights of persons not parties to the action. 2. R. 64. Section 3. Notice on Solicitor General. In any action which involves the validity of a statute, executive order or regulation, or any other governmental regulation, the Solicitor General shall be notified by the party assailing the same and shall be entitled to be heard upon such question. 3. R. 64. Section 4. Local Government Ordinances In any action involving the validity of a local government ordinance, the corresponding prosecutor or attorney of the local governmental unit involved shall be similarly notified and entitled to be heard. If such ordinance is alleged to be unconstitutional, the Solicitor General shall also be notified and entitled to be heard. 4. R. 64. Section 5. Court Action Discretionary Except in actions falling under the second paragraph of section 1 of this rule, the court, mode proprio or upon motion, may refuse to exercise the power to declare rights and to construe instruments in any case where a decision would not terminate the uncertainty or controversy which gave rise to the action, or in any case where the declaration or construction is not necessary and proper under the circumstances. 5. R. 64. Section 6. Conversion into Ordinary Action. If before the final termination of the case, a breach or violation of an instrument or a statute, executive order or regulation, ordinance, or any other governmental regulation should take place, the action may thereupon be converted into an ordinary action, and the parties shall be allowed to file such pleadings as may be necessary or proper. 6. R. 64. Rule 64 Review of Judgments and Final Orders or Resolutions of the Commission on Elections and the Commission on Audits Section 1. Scope This rule shall govern the review of judgments and final orders or resolutions of the Commission on Elections and the Commission on Audit. N. Section 2. Mode of Review A judgment or final order or resolution of the Commission on Elections and the Commission on Audit may be brought by the aggrieved party to the Supreme Court on certiorari under Rule 65, except as here and after provided. N. Bar Matter No. 803, February 17, 1998, Section 3. Time to File Petition. The petition shall be filed within 3030 days from notice of the judgment or final order or resolution sought to be reviewed. The filing of a motion for new trial or reconsideration of said judgment or final order or resolution, if allowed under the procedural rules of the Commission concerned, shall interrupt the period herein fixed. If the motion is denied, the aggrieved party may file the petition within the remaining period, but which shall not be less than 5-5 days in any event, reckoned from notice of denial. N. Section 4. Docket and other lawful fees. Upon the filing of the petition, 
the petitioner shall pay to the clerk of court the docket and other lawful fees and deposit the amount of P500.00 for costs. N. Section 5. Form and Contents of Petition. The petition shall be verified and filed in 1818, legible copies. The petition shall name the aggrieved party as petitioner and shall join as respondents the commission concerned and the person or persons interested in sustaining the judgment, final order or resolution a quo. The petition shall state the facts with certainty, present clearly the issues involved, set forth the grounds and brief arguments relied upon for review, and pray for judgment annulling or modifying the question judgment, final order or resolution. Findings of fact of the Commission supported by substantial evidence shall be final and non-reviewable. The petition shall be accompanied by a clearly legible duplicate original or certified true copy of the judgment, final order or resolution subject thereof, together with certified true copies of such material portions of the record as are referred to therein and other documents relevant and pertinent thereto. The requisite number of copies of the petition shall contain plain copies of all documents attached to the original copy of said petition. The petition shall state the specific material dates showing that it was filed within the period fixed herein, and shall contain a sworn certification against forum shopping as provided in the third paragraph of Section 3, Rule 46. The petition shall further be accompanied by proof of service of a copy thereof on the Commission concerned and on the adverse party, and of the timely payment of docket and other lawful fees. The failure of petitioner to comply with any of the foregoing requirements shall be sufficient ground for the dismissal of the petition. N. Section 6. Order to comment. If the Supreme Court finds the petition sufficient in form and substance, it shall order the respondents to file their comments on the petition within 1010, days from notice thereof. Otherwise, the court may dismiss the petition outright. The court may also dismiss the petition if it was filed manifestly for delay or the questions raised are too unsubstantial to warrant further proceedings. N. Section 7. Comments of Respondents. The comments of the respondents shall be filed in 1818, legible copies. The original shall be accompanied by certified true copies of such material portions of the record as are referred to therein together with other supporting papers. The requisite number of copies of the comments shall contain plain copies of all documents attached to the original and a copy thereof shall be served on the petitioner. No other pleading may be filed by any party unless required or allowed by the court. N. Section 8. Effect of Filing. The filing of a petition for certiorari shall not stay the execution of the judgment or final order or resolution sought to be reviewed, unless the Supreme Court shall direct otherwise upon such terms as it may deem just. N. Section 9. Submission for Decision. Unless the court sets the case for oral argument, or requires the parties to submit memoranda, the case shall be deemed submitted for decision upon the filing of the comments on the petition, or of such other pleadings or papers as may be required or allowed, or the expiration of the period to do so. N. Rule 65 Certiorari, Prohibition in Mandamus Section 1. Petition for Certiorari. When any tribunal, board or officer exercising judicial or quasi-judicial functions has acted without or in excess its or his jurisdiction, or with grave abuse of discretion amounting to lack or excess of jurisdiction, and there is no appeal, or any plain, speedy, 
and adequate remedy in the ordinary course of law, a person aggrieved thereby may file a verified petition in the proper court, alleging the facts with certainty and praying that judgment be rendered annulling or modifying the proceedings of such tribunal, board or officer, and granting such incidental reliefs as law and justice may require. The petition shall be accompanied by a certified true copy of the judgment, order or resolution subject thereof, copies of all pleadings and documents relevant and pertinent thereto, and a sworn certification of non-form shopping as provided in the third paragraph of Section 3, Rule 46. Una, Section 2. Petition for Prohibition. When the proceedings of any tribunal, corporation, board, officer or person, whether exercising judicial, quasi-judicial or ministerial functions, are without or in excess of its or his jurisdiction, or with grave abuse of discretion amounting to lack or excess of jurisdiction, and there is no appeal or any other plain, speedy, and adequate remedy in the ordinary course of law, a person aggrieved thereby may file a verified petition in the proper court, alleging the facts with certainty and praying that judgment be rendered commanding the respondent to desist from further proceedings in the action or matter specified therein, or otherwise granting such incidental reliefs as law and justice may require. The petition shall likewise be accompanied by a certified true copy of the judgment, order or resolution subject thereof, copies of all pleadings and documents relevant and pertinent thereto, and a sworn certification of non-form shopping as provided in the third paragraph of Section 3, Rule 46. 2. Section 3. Petition for Mandamus. When any tribunal, corporation, board, officer or person unlawfully neglects the performance of an act which the law specifically enjoins as a duty resulting from an office, trust, or station, or unlawfully excludes another from the use and enjoyment of a right or office to which such other is entitled, and there is no other plain, speedy and adequate remedy in the ordinary course of law, the person aggrieved thereby may file a verified petition in the proper court, alleging the facts with certainty and praying that judgment be rendered commanding the respondent, immediately or at some other time, to be specified by the court, to do the act required to be done to protect the rights of the petitioner and to pay the damages sustained by the petitioner by reason of the wrongful acts of the respondent. The petition shall also contain a sworn certification of non-form shopping as provided in the third paragraph of Section 3, Rule 46. 3. A, Section 4. When and where petition filed. The petition shall be filed not later than 6060, days from notice of the judgment, order or resolution. In case a motion for reconsideration or new trial is timely filed, whether such motion is required or not, the 60-60 day period shall be counted from notice of the denial of said motion. The petition shall be filed in the Supreme Court or, if it relates to the acts or omissions of a lower court or of a corporation, board, officer or person, in the regional trial court exercising jurisdiction over the territorial area as defined by the Supreme Court. It may also be filed in the Court of Appeals whether or not the same is in aid of its appellate jurisdiction, or in the Sandagambayan if it is in aid of its appellate jurisdiction. If it involves the acts or omissions of a quasi-judicial agency, unless otherwise provided by law or these rules, the petition shall be filed and incognizable only by the Court of Appeals. No extension of time to file the petition shall be granted except for compelling reason and in no case exceeding 1515 days. 4. A, 
Bar Matter Number 803, July 21, 1998. AM. Number 00-2-03 SE Section 5. Respondents and Costs in Certain Cases. When the petition filed relates to the acts or omissions of a judge, court, quasi-judicial agency, tribunal, corporation, board, officer or person, the petitioner shall join, as private respondent or respondents with such public respondent or respondents, the person or persons interested in sustaining the proceedings in the court. And it shall be the duty of such private respondents to appear and defend, both in his or their own behalf and in behalf of the public respondent or respondents affected by the proceedings, and the costs awarded in such proceedings in favor of the petitioner shall be against the private respondents only, and not against the judge, court, quasi-judicial agency, tribunal, corporation, board, officer or person pleaded as public respondent or respondents. Unless otherwise specifically directed by the court where the petition is pending, the public respondents shall not appear in or file an answer or comment to the petition or any pleading therein. If the case is elevated to a higher court by either party, the public respondents shall be included therein as nominal parties. However, unless otherwise specifically directed by the court, they shall not appear or participate in the proceedings therein. 5a, Section 6. Order to comment. If the petition is sufficient in form and substance to justify such process, the court shall issue an order requiring the respondent or respondents to comment on the petition within 1010, days from receipt of a copy thereof. Such order shall be served on the respondents in such manner as the court may direct together with a copy of the petition and any annexes thereto. In petitions for certiorari before the Supreme Court and the Court of Appeals, the provisions of Section 2, Rule 56, shall be observed. Before giving due course thereto, the court may require the respondents to file their comment to, and not a motion to dismiss, the petition. Thereafter, the court may require the filing of a reply and such other responsive or other pleadings as it may deem necessary and proper. 6. A, Section 7. Expediting Proceedings Injunctive Relief The court in which the petition is filed may issue orders expediting the proceedings, and it may also grant a temporary restraining order or a preliminary injunction for the preservation of the rights of the parties pending such proceedings. The petition shall not interrupt the course of the principal case unless a temporary restraining order or a preliminary injunction has been issued against the public respondent from further proceeding of the case. 7a, Section 8. Proceedings after comment is filed. After the comment or other pleadings required by the court are filed, or the time for the filing thereof has expired, the court may hear the case or require the parties to submit memoranda. If after such hearing or submission of memoranda or the expiration of the period for the filing thereof the court finds that the allegations of the petition are true, it shall render judgment for the relief prayed for or to which the petitioner is entitled. The court, however, may dismiss the petition if it finds the same to be patently without merit, prosecuted manifestly for delay, or that the questions raised therein are too unsubstantial to require consideration. 8. Section 9. Service and Enforcement of Order or Judgment. A certified copy of the judgment rendered in accordance with the last preceding section shall be served upon the court, quasi-judicial agency, tribunal, corporation, board officer or person concerned in such manner as the court may direct, 
and disobedience thereto shall be punished as contempt. An execution may issue for any damages or costs awarded in accordance with Section 1 of Rule 39. Nina, Rule 66 Quo Viranto Section 1. Action by Government Against Individuals. An action for the usurpation of a public office, position or franchise may be commenced by a verified petition brought in the name of the Republic of the Philippines against a person who usurps, intrudes into, or unlawfully holds or exercises a public office, position or franchise. b. A public officer who does or suffers an act which, by the provision of law, constitutes a ground for the forfeiture of his office. Or c. An association which acts as a corporation within the Philippines without being legally incorporated or without lawful authority so to act. When a, Section 2. When Solicitor General or Public Prosecutor must commence action. The Solicitor General or Public Prosecutor, when directed by the President of the Philippines, or when upon complaint or otherwise he has good reason to believe that any case specified in the preceding section can be established by proof, must commence such action. 3. A, Section 3. When Solicitor General or Public Prosecutor may commence action with permission of court. The Solicitor General or Public Prosecutor may, with the permission of the court in which the action is to be commenced, bring such an action at the request and upon the relation of another person. But in such case the officer bringing it may first require an indemnity for the expenses and costs of the action in an amount approved by and to be deposited in the court by the person at whose request and upon whose relation the same is brought. 4. A, Section 4. When hearing had on application for permission to commence action. Upon application for permission to commence such action in accordance with the next preceding section, the court shall direct that notice be given to the respondent so that he may be heard in opposition thereto. And if permission is granted, the court shall issue an order to that effect, copies of which shall be served on all interested parties, and the petition shall then be filed within the period ordered by the court. 5. A, Section 5. When an individual may commence such an action, a person claiming to be entitled to a public office or position usurped or unlawfully held or exercised by another may bring an action therefore in his own name. 6. Section 6. Parties and Contents of Petition Against Usurpation When the action is against a person for usurping a public office, position or franchise, the petition shall set forth the name of the person who claimed to be entitled thereto, if any with an averment of his right to the same and that the respondent is unlawfully in possession thereof. All persons who claim to be entitled to the public office, position or franchise may be made parties, and their respective rights to such public office, position or franchise determined, in the same action. 7. A, Section 7. Venue. An action under the preceding six sections can be brought only in the Supreme Court the Court of Appeals, or in the Regional Trial Court exercising jurisdiction over the territorial area where the respondent or any of the respondents resides, but when the Solicitor General commences the action, it may be brought in a Regional Trial Court in the City of Manila, in the Court of Appeals, or in the Supreme Court. Ada, Section 8. Period for pleadings and proceedings may be reduced. Action given precedence. The court may reduce the period provided by these rules for filing pleadings and for all other proceedings in the action in order to secure the most expeditious determination of the matters involved therein consistent with the rights of the parties. 
such action may be given precedence over any other civil matter pending in the court. 9a, Section 9. Judgment where usurpation found. When the respondent is found guilty of usurping into, intruding into, or unlawfully holding or exercising a public office, position or franchise, judgment shall be rendered that such respondent be ousted and altogether excluded therefrom, and that the petitioner or relator, as the case may be, recover his costs. Such further judgment may be rendered determining the respective rights and into the public office, position or franchise of all the parties to the action as justice requires. Tena, Section 10 Rights of persons adjudged entitled to public office Delivery of books and papers Damages If judgment be rendered in favor of the person averred in the complaint to be entitled to the public office he may, after taking the oath of office and executing any official bond required by law, take upon himself the execution of the office, and may immediately thereafter demand of the respondent all the books and papers in the respondent's custody or control appertaining to the office to which the judgment relates. If the respondent refuses or neglects to deliver any book or paper pursuant to such demand, he may be punished for contempt as having disobeyed a lawful order of the court. The person adjudged entitled to the office may also bring action against the respondent to recover the damages sustained by such person by reason of the usurpation. 15a, Section 11. Limitations. Nothing contained in this rule shall be construed to authorize an action against a public officer or employee for his ouster from office unless the same be commenced within one one year after the cause of such ouster, or the right of the petitioner to hold such office or position, arose, nor to authorize an action for damages in accordance with the provisions of the next preceding section unless the same be commenced within one one year after the entry of the judgment establishing the petitioner's right to the office in question. 16a, Section 12. Judgment for Costs. In an action brought in accordance with the provisions of this rule, the court may render judgment for costs against either the petitioner, the relator, or the respondent, or the person or persons claiming to be a corporation, or may apportion the costs, as justice requires. 17a, Rule 67 Expropriation Section 1. The Complaint. The right of eminent domain shall be exercised by the filing of a verified complaint which shall state with certainty the right and purpose of expropriation, describe the real or personal property sought to be expropriated, and join as defendants all persons owning or claiming to own, or occupying, any part thereof or interest therein, showing, so far as practicable, the separate interest of each defendant. If the title to any property sought to be expropriated appears to be in the Republic of the Philippines, although occupied by private individuals, or if the title is otherwise obscure or doubtful so that the plaintiff cannot with accuracy or certainty specify who are the real owners, a vermin to that effect shall be made in the complaint. 1. Section 2. Entry of Plaintiff Upon Depositing Value with Authorized Government Depository Upon the filing of the complaint or at any time thereafter and after due notice to the defendant, the plaintiff shall have the right to take or enter upon the possession of the real property involved if he deposits with the authorized government depository an amount equivalent to the assessed value of the property for purposes of taxation to be held by such bank subject to the orders of the court. 
such deposit shall be in money, unless in lieu thereof the court authorizes the deposit of a certificate of deposit of a government bank of the Republic of the Philippines payable on demand to the authorized government depository. If personal property is involved, its value shall be provisionally ascertained and the amount to be deposited shall be promptly fixed by the court. After such deposit is made the court shall order the sheriff or other proper officer to forthwith place the plaintiff in possession of the property involved and promptly submit a report thereof to the court with service of copies to the parties. 2. Section 3. Defenses and Objections. If a defendant has no objection or defense to the action or the taking of his property, he may file and serve a notice of appearance in a manifestation to that effect specifically designating or identifying the property in which he claims to be interested, within the time stated in the summons. Thereafter, he shall be entitled to notice of all proceedings affecting the same. If a defendant has any objection to the filing of or the allegations in the complaint, or any objection or defense to the taking of his property, he shall serve his answer within the time stated in the summons. The answer shall specifically designate or identify the property in which he claims to have an interest, state the nature and extent of the interest claimed, and adduce all his objections and defenses to the taking of his property. No counterclaim, cross-claim or third-party complaint shall be alleged or allowed in the answer or any subsequent pleading. A defendant waives all defenses and objections not so alleged but the court in the interest of justice, may permit amendments to the answer to be made not later than 10-10, days from the filing thereof. However, at the trial of the issue of just compensation whether or not a defendant has previously appeared or answered, he may present evidence as to the amount of the compensation to be paid for his property, and he may share in the distribution of the award. N. Section 4. Order of Expropriation. If the objections to and the defenses against the right of the plaintiff to expropriate the property are overruled, or when no party appears to defend as required by this rule, the court may issue an order of expropriation declaring that the plaintiff has a lawful right to take the property sought to be expropriated, for the public use or purpose described in the complaint, upon the payment of just compensation to be determined as of the date of the taking of the property or the filing of the complaint, whichever came first. A final order sustaining the right to expropriate the property may be appealed by any party aggrieved thereby. Such appeal, however, shall not prevent the court from determining the just compensation to be paid. After the rendition of such an order, the plaintiff shall not be permitted to dismiss or discontinue the proceeding except on such terms as the court deems just and equitable. Fora, Section 5. Ascertainment of Compensation. Upon the rendition of the order of expropriation, the court shall appoint not more than three three, competent and disinterested persons as commissioners to ascertain and report to the court the just compensation for the property sought to be taken. The order of appointment shall designate the time and place of the first session of the hearing to be held by the commissioners and specify the time within which their report shall be submitted to the court. Copies of the order shall be served on the parties. Objections to the appointment of any of the commissioners shall be filed with the court within 10-10, days from service, and shall be resolved within 30-30, days after all the commissioners shall have received copies of the objections. 5. A. Section 6. Proceedings by Commissioners. Before entering upon the performance of their duties, the commissioners shall take and subscribe an oath that they will faithfully perform their duties as commissioners 
which oath shall be filed in court with the other proceedings in the case. Evidence may be introduced by either party before the commissioners who are authorized to administer oaths on hearings before them, and the commissioners shall, unless the parties consent to the contrary, after due notice to the parties, to attend, view and examine the property sought to be expropriated and its surroundings, and may measure the same, after which either party may, by himself or counsel, argue the case. The commissioner shall assess the consequential damages to the property not taken and deduct from such consequential damages the consequential benefits to be derived by the owner from the public use or purpose of the property taken, the operation of its franchise by the corporation or the carrying on of the business of the corporation or a person taking the property. But in no case shall the consequential benefits assessed exceed the consequential damages assessed, or the owner be deprived of the actual value of his property so taken. 6. A, Section 7. Report by Commissioners and Judgment Thereupon. The court may order the commissioners to report when any particular portion of the real estate shall have been passed upon by them, and may render judgment upon such partial report, and direct the commissioners to proceed with their work as to subsequent portions of the property sought to be expropriated, and may from time to time so deal with such property. The commissioners shall make a full and accurate report to the court of all their proceedings and such proceedings shall not be effectual until the court shall have accepted their report and rendered judgment in accordance with their recommendations. Except as otherwise expressly ordered by the court, such report shall be filed within 60-60, days from the date the commissioners were notified of their appointment, which time may be extended in the discretion of the court. Upon the filing of such report, the clerk of the court shall serve copies thereof on all interested parties, with notice that they are allowed 10-10, days within which to file objections to the findings of the report, if they so desire. 7. A, Section 8. Action upon Commissioner's Report. Upon the expiration of the period of 10-10, days referred to in the preceding section, or even before the expiration of such period but after all the interested parties have filed their objections to the report or their statement of agreement therewith, the court may, after hearing, accept the report and render judgment in accordance therewith, or, for cause shown, it may recommit the same to the commissioners for further report of facts, or it may set aside the report and appoint new commissioners or it may accept the report in part and reject it in part and it may make such order or render such judgment as shall secure to the plaintiff the property essential to the exercise of his right of expropriation, and to the defendant just compensation for the property so taken. 8. Section 9. Uncertain Ownership. Conflicting Claims. If the ownership of the property taken is uncertain, or there are conflicting claims to any part thereof, the court may order any sum or sums awarded as compensation for the property to be paid to the court for the benefit of the person adjudged in the same proceeding to be entitled thereto. But the judgment shall require the payment of the sum or sums awarded to either the defendant or the court before the plaintiff can enter upon the property, or retain it for the public use or purpose if entry has already been made. 9. Section 10. Right to Plaintiff After Judgment and Payment. Upon payment by the plaintiff to the defendant of the compensation fixed by the judgment, with legal interest thereon from the taking of the possession of the property, or after tender to him of the amount so fixed and payment of the costs, 
the plaintiff shall have the right to enter upon the property expropriated and to appropriate it for the public use or purpose defined in the judgment, or to retain it should he have taken immediate possession thereof under the provisions of section 2 hereof. If the defendant and his counsel absent themselves from the court, or decline to receive the amount tendered, the same shall be ordered to be deposited in court and such deposit shall have the same effect as actual payment thereof to the defendant or the person ultimately adjudged entitled thereto. Tena, Section 11. Entry not delayed by appeal. Effect of reversal. The right of the plaintiff to enter upon the property of the defendant and appropriate the same for public use or purpose shall not be delayed by an appeal from the judgment. But if the appellate court determines that plaintiff has no right of expropriation, judgment shall be rendered ordering the regional trial court to forthwith enforce the restoration to the defendant of the possession of the property, and to determine the damages which the defendant sustained and may recover by reason of the possession taken by the plaintiff. 11. A, Section 12. Costs, by whom paid. The fees of the commissioner shall be taxed as a part of the costs of the proceedings. All costs, except those of rival claimants litigating their claims, shall be paid by the plaintiff, unless an appeal is taken by the owner of the property and the judgment is affirmed, in which event the costs of the appeal shall be paid by the owner. 12. A, Section 13. Recording Judgment, and its Effect. The judgment entered in expropriation proceedings shall state definitely, by an adequate description, the particular property or interest therein expropriated, and the nature of the public use or purpose for which it is expropriated. When real estate is expropriated, a certified copy of such judgment shall be recorded in the registry of deeds of the place in which the property is situated, and its effect shall be to vest in the plaintiff the title to the real estate so described for such public use or purpose. 13. A, Section 14. Power of Guardian in Such Proceedings. The guardian or a guardian ad litem of a minor or of a person judicially declared to be incompetent may, with the approval of the court first had, do and perform on behalf of his ward any act, matter, or thing respecting the expropriation for public use or purpose of property belonging to such minor or person judicially declared to be incompetent, which such minor or person judicially declared to be incompetent could do in such proceedings if he were of age or competent. 14. Rule 68 Foreclosure of Real Estate Mortgage Section 1. Complaint in Action for Foreclosure. In an action for the foreclosure of a mortgage or other encumbrance upon real estate, the complaint shall set forth the date and due execution of the mortgage. Its assignments, if any. The names and residences of the mortgager and the mortgagee. A description of the mortgaged property. A statement of the date of the note or other documentary evidence of the obligation secured by the mortgage, the amount claimed to be unpaid thereon. And the names and residences of all persons having or claiming an interest in the property subordinate in right to that of the holder of the mortgage, all of whom shall be made defendants in the action. Huna, Section 2. Judgment on foreclosure for payment or sale. If upon the trial in such action the court shall find the facts set forth in the complaint to be true, it shall ascertain the amount due to the plaintiff upon the mortgage debt or obligation, including interest and other charges as approved by the court, and costs, and shall render judgment for the sum so found due in order that the same be paid to the court or to the judgment obligee within a period of not less than 90-90, days nor more than 120-120, days from the entry of judgment 
and that in default of such payment the property shall be sold at public auction to satisfy the judgment. Tua, Section 3. Sale of Mortgaged Property. Effect. When the defendant, after being directed to do so as provided in the next proceeding section, fails to pay the amount of the judgment within the period specified therein, the court, upon motion, shall order the property to be sold in the manner and under the provisions of Rule 39 and other regulations governing sales of real estate under execution. Such sales shall not affect the rights of persons holding prior encumbrances upon the property or a part thereof, and when confirmed by an order of the court, also upon motion, it shall operate to divest the rights in the property of all the parties to the action and to vest their rights in the purchaser, subject to such rights of redemption as may be allowed by law. Upon the finality of the order of confirmation or upon the expiration of the period of redemption when allowed by law, the purchaser at the auction sale or last redemptioner, if any, shall be entitled to the possession of the property unless a third party is actually holding the same adversely to the judgment obligor. The said purchaser or last redemptioner may secure writ of possession, upon motion, from the court which ordered the foreclosure. 3a, Section 4. Disposition of Proceeds of Sale. The amount realized from the foreclosure sale of the mortgaged property shall, after deducting the costs of the sale, be paid to the person foreclosing the mortgage, and when there shall be any balance or residue, after paying off the mortgage debt due, the same shall be paid to junior encumbrancers in the order of their priority, to be ascertained by the court, or if there be no such encumbrancers or there be a balance or residue after payment to them, then to the mortgager or his duly authorized agent, or to the person entitled to it. Fora, Section 5. How sale to proceed in case the debt is not all due. If the debt for which the mortgage or encumbrance was held is not all due as provided in the judgment as soon as a sufficient portion of the property has been sold to pay the total amount in the costs due, the sale shall terminate. And afterwards as often as more becomes due for principal or interest and other valid charges, the court may, on motion, order more to be sold. But if the property cannot be sold in portions without prejudice to the parties, the whole shall be ordered to be sold in the first instance, and the entire debt and cost shall be paid, if the proceeds of the sale be sufficient therefore, there being a rebate of interest where such rebate is proper. 5a, Section 6. Deficiency Judgment. If upon the sale of any real property as provided in the next preceding section there be a balance due to the plaintiff after applying the proceeds of the sale, the court, upon motion, shall render judgment against the defendant for any such balance for which, by the record of the case, he may be personally liable to the plaintiff, upon which execution may issue immediately if the balance is all due at the time of the rendition of the judgment. Otherwise, the plaintiff shall be entitled to execution at such time as the balance remaining becomes due under the terms of the original contract, which time shall be stated in the judgment. 6. Section 7. Registration. A certified copy of the final order of the court confirming the sale shall be registered in the Registry of Deeds. If no right of redemption exists, the certificate of title in the name of the mortgager shall be cancelled, and a new one issued in the name of the purchaser. Where a right of redemption exists, the certificate of title in the name of the mortgager shall not be cancelled, but the certificate of sale and the order confirming the sale shall be registered and a brief memorandum thereof made by the registrar of deeds upon the certificate of title. 
In the event the property is redeemed, the deed of redemption shall be registered with the Registry of Deeds, and a brief memorandum thereof shall be made by the Registrar of Deeds on said Certificate of Title. If the property is not redeemed, the final deed of sale executed by the sheriff in favor of the purchaser at the foreclosure sale shall be registered with the Registry of Deeds. Whereupon the certificate of title in the name of the mortgager shall be cancelled and a new one issued in the name of the purchaser. N. Section 8. Applicability of Other Provisions. The provisions of Sections 31, 32 and 34 of Rule 39 shall be applicable to the judicial foreclosure of real estate mortgages under this rule insofar as the former are not inconsistent with or may serve to supplement the provisions of the latter. ADA, Rule 69 Partition Section 1. Complaint in action for partition of real estate. A person having the right to compel the partition of real estate may do so as provided in this rule, setting forth in his complaint the nature and extent of his title and an adequate description of the real estate of which partition is demanded and joining as defendants all other persons interested in the property. ANA, Section 2. Order for partition and partition by agreement thereunder. If after the trial the court finds that the plaintiff has the right thereto, it shall order the partition of the real estate among all the parties in interest. Thereupon the parties may, if they are able to agree, make the partition among themselves by proper instruments of conveyance, and the court shall confirm the partition so agreed upon by all the parties, and such partition, together with the order of the court confirming the same, shall be recorded in the registry of deeds of the place in which the property is situated. 2. A final order decreeing partition and accounting may be appealed by any party aggrieved thereby. N. Section 3. Commissioners to make partition when parties fail to agree. If the parties are unable to agree upon the partition, the court shall appoint not more than 3-3, competent and disinterested persons as commissioners to make the partition, commanding them to set off to the plaintiff and to each party in interest such part and proportion of the property as the court shall direct. 3. A. Section 4. Oath and Duties of Commissioners. Before making such partition, the commissioners shall take and subscribe an oath that they will faithfully perform their duties as commissioners, which oath shall be filed in court with the other proceedings in the case. In making the partition, the commissioners shall view and examine the real estate, after due notice to the parties to attend at such view and examination and shall hear the parties as to their preference in the portion of the property to be set apart to them and the comparative value thereof, and shall set apart the same to the parties in lots or parcels as will be most advantageous and equitable, having due regard to the improvements, situation and quality of the different parts thereof. For a, Section 5. Assignment or Sale of Real Estate by Commissioners. When it is made to appear to the commissioners that the real estate, or a portion thereof, cannot be divided without prejudice to the interests of the parties, the court may order it assigned to one of the parties willing to take the same, provided he pays to the other parties such amount as the commissioners deem equitable, unless one of the interested parties asks that the property be sold instead of being so assigned, in which case the court shall order the commissioners to sell the real estate at public sale under such conditions and within such time. As the court may determine. 5. A. Section 6. Report of Commissioners. Proceedings not binding until confirmed. The Commissioner shall make a full and accurate report to the Court of all their proceedings as to the partition, or the assignment of real estate to one of the parties, or the sale of the same. 
Upon the filing of such report, the clerk of court shall serve copies thereof on all the interested parties with notice that they are allowed 10-10 days within which to file objections to the findings of the report, if they so desire. No proceeding had before or conducted by the commissioners and rendered judgment thereon. 6. A, Section 7. Action of the Court Upon Commissioner's Report Upon the expiration of the period of 10-10, days referred to in the preceding section or even before the expiration of such period but after the interested parties have filed their objections to the report or their statement of agreement therewith the court may, upon hearing, accept the report and render judgment in accordance therewith, or, for cause shown recommit the same to the commissioners for further report of facts, or set aside the report and appoint new commissioners or accept the report in part and reject it in part, and may make such order and render such judgment as shall effectuate a fair and just partition of the real estate, or of its value, if assigned or sold as above provided, between the several owners thereof. 7. Section 8. Accounting for Rent and Profits in Action for Partition. In an action for partition in accordance with this rule, a party shall recover from another his just share of rent and profits received by such other party from the real estate in question, and the judgment shall include an allowance for such rents and profits. 8. Section 9. Power of Guardian in Such Proceedings The guardian or a guardian ad litem of a minor or person judicially declared to be incompetent may, with the approval of the court first had, do and perform on behalf of his ward any act, matter or thing respecting the partition of real estate, which the minor or person judicially declared to be incompetent could do in partition proceedings if he were of age or competent. 9. Section 10. Costs and expenses to be taxed and collected. The court shall equitably tax and apportion between or among the parties the costs and expenses which accrue in the action, including the compensation of the commissioners, having regard to the interests of the parties, and execution may issue therefore as in other cases. 10. Section 11. The Judgment and Its Effect. Copy to be recorded in Registry of Deeds. If actual partition of property is made, the judgment shall state definitely, by meets and bounds and adequate description, the particular portion of the real estate assigned to each party, and the effect of the judgment shall be to vest in each party to the action in severalty the portion of the real estate assigned to him. If the whole property is assigned to one of the parties upon his paying to the others the sum or sums ordered by the court, the judgment shall state the fact of such payment and of the assignment of the real estate to the party making the payment, and the effect of the judgment shall be to vest in the party making the payment the whole of the real estate free from any interest on the part of the other parties to the action. If the property is sold and the sale confirmed by the court, the judgment shall state the name of the purchaser or purchasers and a definite description of the parcels of real estate sold to each purchaser, and the effect of the judgment shall be to vest the real estate in the purchaser or purchasers making the payment or payments, free from the claims of any of the parties to the action. A certified copy of the judgment shall in either case be recorded in the registry of deeds of the place in which the real estate is situated, and the expenses of such recording shall be taxed as part of the costs of the action. 11. A, Section 12. Neither paramount rights nor amicable partition affected by this rule. Nothing in this rule contained shall be construed so as to prejudice, defeat, 
or destroy the right or title of any person claiming the real estate involved by title under any other person, or by title paramount to the title of the parties among whom the partition may have been made, nor so as to restrict or prevent persons holding real estate jointly or in common from making an amicable partition thereof by agreement and suitable instruments of conveyance without recourse to an action. 12a, Section 13. Partition of Personal Property. The provisions of this rule shall apply to partitions of estates composed of personal property, or of both real and personal property, insofar as the same may be applicable. 13. Rule 74 Civil Entry and Unlawful Detainer Section 1. Who may institute proceedings, and when? Subject to the provisions of the next succeeding section, a person deprived of the possession of any land or building by force, intimidation, threat, strategy, or stealth or a lesser, vendor, vendee, or other person against whom the possession of any land or building is unlawfully withheld after the expiration or termination of the right to hold possession, by virtue of any contract, express or implied, or the legal representatives or assigns of any such lesser, vendor, vendee, or other person, may, at any time within one. 1 year after such unlawful deprivation or withholding of possession, bring an action in the proper municipal trial court against the person or persons unlawfully withholding or depriving of possession, or any person or persons claiming under them, for the restitution of such possession, together with damages and costs. Una, section 2. Lesser to proceed against lessee only after demand. Unless otherwise stipulated, such action by the lesser shall be commenced only after demand to pay or comply with the conditions of the lease and to vacate is made upon the lessee, or by serving written notice of such demand upon the person found on the premises if no person be found thereon, and the lessee fails to comply therewith after 15-15, days in the case of land or 5-5, days in the case of buildings. 2. Section 3. Summary Procedure. Except in cases covered by the agricultural tenancy laws or when the law otherwise expressly provides, all actions for forcible entry and unlawful detainer, irrespective of the amount of damages or unpaid rentals sought to be recovered, shall be governed by the summary procedure hereunder provided. N. Section 4. Pleadings Allowed. The only pleadings allowed to be filed are the complaint, compulsory counterclaim and cross-claim pleaded in the answer and the answers thereto. All pleadings shall be verified. 3a, RSP Section 5. Action on Complaint. The court may, from an examination of the allegations in the complaint and such evidence as may be attached thereto, dismiss the case outright on any of the grounds for the dismissal of a civil action which are apparent therein. If no ground for dismissal is found, it shall forthwith issue a summons. N. Section 6. Answers. Within 10-10, days from service of summons, the defendant shall file his answer to the complaint and serve a copy thereof on the plaintiff. Affirmative and negative defenses not pleaded therein shall be deemed waived, except lack of jurisdiction over the subject matter. Cross-claims and compulsory counterclaims not asserted in the answer shall be considered barred. The answer to counterclaims or cross-claims shall be served and filed within 10-10, days from service of the answer in which they are pleaded. 5 RSP Section 7 Effect of Failure to Answer 
Should the defendant fail to answer the complaint within the period above provided, the court, mode proprio or on motion of the plaintiff, shall render judgment as may be warranted by the facts alleged in the complaint and limited to what is prayed for therein. The court may in its discretion reduce the amount of damages and attorney's fees claimed for being excessive or otherwise unconscionable, without prejudice to the applicability of Section 3C, Rule 9 if there are two or more defendants. 6. RSP Section 8. Preliminary Conference. Appearance of Parties. Not later than 30-30, days after the last answer is filed, a preliminary conference shall be held. The provisions of Rule 18 on pre-trial shall be applicable to the preliminary conference unless inconsistent with the provisions of this rule. The failure of the plaintiff to appear in the preliminary conference shall be cause for the dismissal of his complaint. The defendant who appears in the absence of the plaintiff shall be entitled to judgment on his counterclaim in accordance with the next preceding section. All cross-claims shall be dismissed. 7. RSP If a sole defendant shall fail to appear, the plaintiff shall likewise be entitled to judgment in accordance with the next preceding section. This procedure shall not apply where one of two or more defendants sued under a common cause of action defense shall appear at the preliminary conference. No postponement of the preliminary conference shall be granted except for highly meritorious grounds and without prejudice to such sanctions as the court in the exercise of sound discretion may impose on the movement. N. Section 9. Record of Preliminary Conference. Within 5-5 days after the termination of the preliminary conference, the court shall issue an order stating the matters taken up therein, including but not limited to 1. Whether the parties have arrived at an amicable settlement, and if so, the terms thereof. 2. The stipulations or admissions entered into by the parties. 3. Whether, on the basis of the pleadings in the stipulations and admission made by the parties, judgment may be rendered without the need of further proceedings, in which event the judgment shall be rendered within 30-30, days from issuance of the order. 4. A clear specification of material facts which remain converted. And 5. Such other matters intended to expedite the disposition of the case. 8. RSP Section 10. Submission of Affidavits and Position Papers. Within 10-10, days from receipt of the order mentioned in the next proceeding section, the parties shall submit the affidavits of their witnesses and other evidence on the factual issues defined in the order, together with their position papers setting forth the law and the facts relied upon by them. 9. RSP Section 11. Period for Rendition of Judgment. Within 30-30, days after receipt of the affidavits and position papers, or the expiration of the period for filing the same, the court shall render judgment. However, should the court find it necessary to clarify certain material facts, during the said period, issue an order specifying the matters to be clarified, and require the parties to submit affidavits or other evidence on the said matters within 1010, days from receipt of said order. Judgment shall be rendered within 1515, days after the receipt of the last affidavit or the expiration of the period for filing the same. The court shall not resort to the foregoing procedure just to gain time for the rendition of the judgment. N. Section 12. Referral for Conciliation. Cases requiring referral for conciliation, 
where there is no showing of compliance with such requirement, shall be dismissed without prejudice, and may be revived only after that requirement shall have been complied with. 18 RSP Section 13 Prohibited Pleadings and Motions The following petitions, motions, or pleadings shall not be allowed. 1. Motion to dismiss the complaint except on the ground of lack of jurisdiction over the subject matter, or failure to comply with Section 12. 2. Motion for a Bill of Particulars. 3. Motion for new trial, or for reconsideration of a judgment, or for reopening of trial. 4. Petition for relief from judgment. 5. Motion for extension of time to file pleadings, affidavits or any other paper. 6. Memoranda. 7. Petition for certiorari, mandamus or prohibition against any interlocutory order issued by the court. 8. Motion to declare the defendant in default. 9. Dilatory motions for postponement. 10. Reply. 11. Third-party complaints. 12. Interventions. 19. RSP Section 14. Affidavits. The affidavits required to be submitted under this rule shall state only facts of direct personal knowledge of the affiants which are admissible in evidence, and shall show their competence to testify to the matter stated therein. A violation of this requirement may subject the party or the counsel who submits the same to disciplinary action, and shall be caused to expunge the inadmissible affidavit or portion thereof from the record. 20. RSP Section 15. Preliminary Injunction. The court may grant preliminary injunction, in accordance with the provisions of Rule 58 hereof, to prevent the defendant from committing further acts of dispossession against the plaintiff. A possessor deprived of his possession through forcible from the filing of the complaint, present a motion in the action for forcible entry or unlawful detainer for the issuance of a writ of preliminary mandatory injunction to restore him in his possession. The court shall decide the motion within 30-30, days from the filing thereof. 3. A, Section 16. Resolving Defense of Ownership. When the defendant raises the defense of ownership in his pleadings and the question of possession cannot be resolved without deciding the issue of ownership, the issue of ownership shall be resolved only to determine the issue of possession. 4. A, Section 17. Judgment. If after trial court finds that the allegations of the complaint are true, it shall render judgment in favor of the plaintiff for the restitution of the premises, the sum justly due as arrears of rent or as reasonable compensation for the use and occupation of the premises, attorney's fees and costs. If a counterclaim is established, the court shall render judgment for the sum found in arrears from either party and award costs as justice requires. 6. A, Section 18. Judgment conclusive only on possession. Not conclusive in actions involving title or ownership. The judgment rendered in an action for forcible entry or detainer shall be conclusive with respect to the possession only and shall in no wise bind the title or affect the ownership of the land or building. Such judgment shall not bar an action between the same parties respecting title to the land or building. The judgment or final order shall be appealable to the appropriate regional trial court which shall decide the same on the basis of the entire record of the proceedings had in the court of origin and such memoranda and or briefs as may be submitted by the parties or required by the regional trial court. 7. A, Section 19. 
immediate execution of judgment. How to stay same? If judgment is rendered against the defendant, execution shall issue immediately upon motion unless an appeal has been perfected and the defendant to stay execution files a sufficient supersedes bond, approved by the municipal trial court and executed in favor of the plaintiff to pay the rents, damages, and costs accruing down to the time of the judgment appealed from, and unless, during the pendency of the appeal, he deposits with the appellate court the amount of rent due from time to time under the contract if any, as determined by the judgment of the Municipal Trial Court. In the absence of a contract, he shall deposit with the Regional Trial Court the reasonable value of the use and occupation of the premises for the preceding month or period at the rate determined by the judgment of the lower court on or before the tenth day of each succeeding month or period. The supersedes bond shall be transmitted by the Municipal Trial Court with the papers, to the clerk of the regional trial court to which the action is appealed. All amounts so paid to the appellate court shall be deposited with said court or authorized government depository bank, and shall be held there until the final disposition of the appeal, unless the court, by agreement of the interested parties, or in the absence of reasonable grounds of opposition to a motion to withdraw, or for justifiable reasons, shall decree otherwise. Should the defendant fail to make the payments above prescribed from time to time during the pendency of the appeal, the appellate court, upon motion of the plaintiff, and upon proof of such failure, shall order the execution of the judgment appealed from with respect to the restoration of possession, but such execution shall not be a bar to the appeal taking its course until the final disposition thereof on the merits. After the case is decided by the regional trial court, any money paid to the court by the defendant for purposes of the stay of execution shall be disposed of in accordance with the provisions of the judgment of the regional trial court. In any case wherein it appears that the defendant has been deprived of the lawful possession of land or building pending the appeal by virtue of the execution of the judgment of the municipal trial court, damages for such deprivation of possession and restoration of possession and restoration of possession may be allowed the defendant in the judgment of the regional trial court disposing of the appeal. Ada, Section 20. Preliminary Mandatory Injunction in Case of Appeal. Upon motion of the plaintiff, Within 10-10, days from the perfection of the appeal to the regional trial court, the latter may issue a writ of preliminary mandatory injunction to restore the plaintiff in possession if the court is satisfied that the defendant's appeal is frivolous or dilatory or that the appeal of the plaintiff is prima facie meritorious. 9. Section 21. Immediate execution on appeal to Court of Appeals or Supreme Court. The judgment of the regional trial court against the defendant shall be immediately executory, without prejudice to a further appeal that may be taken therefrom. 10. Rule 71 Contempt Section 1. Direct contempt punished summarily. A person guilty of misbehavior in the presence of or so near a court is to obstruct or interrupt the proceedings before the same, including disrespect toward the court offensive personalities toward others, or refusal to be sworn or to answer as a witness, or to subscribe an affidavit or deposition when lawfully required to do so, may be summarily adjudged in contempt by such court and punished by a fine not exceeding 2,000 pesos or imprisonment not exceeding 10-10 days, or both, if it be a regional trial court or a court of equivalent or higher rank, or by a fine not exceeding 200 pesos or imprisonment not exceeding 1-1 day, or both, if it be a lower court. 1. Section 2. 
remedy therefrom. The person adjudged in direct contempt by any court may not appeal therefrom, but may avail himself of the remedies of certiorari or prohibition. The execution of the judgment shall be suspended pending resolution of such petition, provided such person files a bond fixed by the court which rendered the judgment and condition that he will abide by and perform the judgment should the petition be decided against him. 2. Section 3. Indirect contempt to be punished after charge in hearing. After a charge in writing has been filed, and an opportunity given to the respondent to comment thereon within such period as may be fixed by the court and to be heard by himself or counsel, a person guilty of any of the following acts may be punished for indirect contempt. A misbehavior of an officer of a court in the performance of his official duties or in his official transactions. B. Disobedience of or resistance to a lawful writ, process, order, or judgment of a court, including the act of a person who, after being dispossessed or ejected from any real property by the judgment or process of any court of competent jurisdiction, enters or attempts or induces another to enter into or upon such real property, for the purpose of executing acts of ownership or possession, or in any manner disturbs the possession given to the person adjudged to be entitled thereto. C. Any abuse of or any unlawful interference with the processes or proceedings of a court not constituting direct contempt under Section 1 of this rule. d. Any improper conduct tending, directly or indirectly, to impede, obstruct, or degrade the administration of justice. e. Assuming to be an attorney or an officer of a court, and acting as such without authority. f. Failure to obey a subpoena duly served. g. The rescue or attempted rescue, of a person or a property in the custody of an officer by virtue of an order or process of a court held by him. But nothing in this section shall be so construed as to prevent the court from issuing process to bring the respondent into court, or from holding him in custody pending such proceedings. 3. A. Section 4. How Proceedings Commenced. Proceedings for indirect contempt may be initiated mode proprio by the court against which the contempt was committed by an order or any other formal charge requiring the respondent to show cause why he should not be punished for contempt. In all other cases, charges for indirect contempt shall be commenced by a verified petition with supporting particulars and certified true copies of documents or papers involved therein, and upon full compliance with the requirements for filing initiatory pleadings for civil actions in the court concerned. If the contempt charges arose out of or are related to a principal action pending in the court, the petition for contempt shall allege that fact but said petition shall be docketed, heard and decided separately unless the court in its discretion orders the consolidation of the contempt charge and the principal action for joint hearing and decision. n. Section 5. Where charge to be filed. Where the charge for indirect contempt has been committed against a regional trial court or a court of equivalent or higher rank, or against an officer appointed by it, the charge may be filed with such court. Where such contempt has been committed against a lower court, the charge may be filed with the regional trial court of the place in which the lower court is sitting. But the proceedings may also be instituted in such lower court subject to appeal to the regional trial court of such place in the same manner as provided in Section 11 of this rule. 4a. Bar Matter No. 803, July 21, 1998, Section 6. Hearing. Release on Bail. If the hearing is not ordered to be had forthwith, 
the respondent may be released from custody upon filing a bond, in an amount fixed by the court, for his appearance at the hearing of the charge. On the day set therefore, the court shall proceed to investigate the charge and consider such comment, testimony or defense as the respondent may make or offer. 5a, Section 7. Punishment for Indirect Contempt. If the respondent is adjudged guilty of indirect contempt committed against a regional trial court or a court of equivalent or higher rank, he may be punished by a fine not exceeding 30,000 pesos or imprisonment not exceeding 6-6 months, or both. If he is adjudged guilty of contempt committed against a lower court, he may be punished by a fine not exceeding 5,000 pesos or imprisonment not exceeding 1-1 month, or both. If the contempt consists in the violation of a writ of injunction, temporary restraining order or status quo order, he may also be ordered to make complete restitution to the party injured by such violation of the property involved or such amount as may be alleged and proved. The writ of execution, as in ordinary civil actions, shall issue for the enforcement of a judgment imposing a fine unless the court otherwise provides. 6. A, Section 8. Imprisonment until order obeyed. When the contempt consists in the refusal or omission to do an act which is yet in the power of the respondent to perform, he may be imprisoned by order of the court concerned until he performs it. 7a. Section 9. Proceeding when party released on bail fails to answer. When a respondent released on bail fails to appear on the day fixed for the hearing, the court may issue another order of arrest or may order the bond for his appearance to be forfeited and confiscated, or both. And, if the bond be proceeded against, the measure of damages shall be the extent of the loss or injury sustained by the aggrieved party by reason of the misconduct for which the contempt charge was prosecuted, with the costs of the proceedings, and such recovery shall be for the benefit of the party injured. If there is no aggrieved party, the bond shall be liable and disposed of as in criminal cases. Ada, Section 10. Court may release respondent. The court which issued the order imprisoning a person for contempt may discharge him from imprisonment when it appears that public interest will not be prejudiced by his release. 9a. Section 11. Review of judgment or final order. Bond for stay. The judgment or final order of a court in a case of indirect contempt may be appealed to the proper court as in criminal cases but execution of the judgment or final order shall not be suspended until a bond is filed by the person adjudged in contempt, in an amount fixed by the court from which the appeal is taken, conditioned that if the appeal be decided against him he will abide by and perform the judgment or final order. 10. Section 12. Contempt against quasi-judicial entities. Unless otherwise provided by law, this rule shall apply to contempt committed against persons, entities, bodies or agencies exercising quasi-judicial functions, or shall have supplatory effect to such rules as they may have adopted pursuant to authority granted to them by law to punish for contempt. The regional trial court of the place wherein the contempt has been committed shall have jurisdiction over such charges as may be filed therefore. N. Many thanks for listening. Please share this with others, write about it on social media or leave a rating and review if you have enjoyed this episode and would like to help support this podcast. You can follow me on YouTube at The Law Requisites PH. Thanks again, until next time, I will see you. See you in our next review.